Welcome to the Call to Action Podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now it's your turn. Our next guest co-founded Our Riveter, which was initially a handbag company, but now offer many more accessories for both women and men. Everything from Our Riveter is American-made and American-sourced. And because these entrepreneurs are military wives who understand having to stay mobile, they're providing remote work opportunities for other military spouses all over this country. After steadily growing the business off of an initial $9,000 investment, they went on to Shark Tank and struck a deal with the infamous Mark Cuban. They have been exploding ever since. Neither Rosie the Riveter nor their Army Ranger husbands can keep up with these ladies' work ethic and drive. Please welcome our next badass to the stage, Cameron Cruz. Yes, thank you for having me. That was a great introduction. I should start the day with that introduction every day. That would just make every day better. Hey, we, we can be your introduction crew here if you want. We've gotten that a few times. We're kind of known for our cool little intros, and uh, they usually start the conversation off really well. So anytime you need us to like be your hype men, we're here. Woo! We're cheap, too. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So it's, it's funny because the first time I heard of our Riveter uh, was about a year ago, and I was walking past the TV. My wife at the time was watching, you know, a lot of the news, just keeping up with the stuff. And I was, I've never been a big fan of watching news in the morning. It's just always feels bad afterwards. So I walked by, uh, I think we were making breakfast for my son. He was like five months old at the time, six months old. And I was kind of glanced, I saw the news channels up and I was a little upset, you know, in my head. I'm like, ah, the news is on again. But then I saw what it was and it was like interviewing an entrepreneur success story. And so I kind of stopped. I was like, wait a minute, this is different. And it was you guys. And it was you talking about, you know, the the journey of where you started, how you got to where you were. Obviously, news segments don't allow for a long-form conversation, really kind of just being comfortable and, and talking in a nice environment. So obviously, they're just rapidly hitting all the points, skipping over all the, the nice nitty-gritty details of like the process. But I was thoroughly impressed. And at that moment, I was like, oh, my God, I got to get these ladies on because they are badass. I love what you're doing. And I think it's, it's a very interesting niche that – uh, I feel like a lot of people don't even realize uh, because, you know, less than 1% of the population serve in the military. And then even less than that, I feel like people don't even engage in what has to happen on the family front to keep those military, either whether soldiers or if they're in the medical field there or the, you know, JAG, whatever area and niche of the military they're in, it takes a, a whole family to really operate that. And the fact that you, have to move around so much at times when you're changing stations and whatever. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary that you guys have been able to do what you do uh, while being a military wife and supporting your husband's career, which is, you know, being an army ranger, I'm sure that's very time consuming. Um, can you, can you describe a little bit about how the heck you started our Riveter? Yeah, for sure. I think in order to really understand it, you have to go all the way back. And uh, when I first met my husband, I really had no idea what it meant to be in the military, let alone what it meant to be a military spouse or what you know that entire community is going through. 
So when we got married, and of course I graduated with a master's in architecture, and we moved out into the middle of nowhere. And I was like, okay, well, this is what it's going to be like. My quarter-life crisis um, kind of started to um, ensue, if you will. And at that time, you know, I only knew a couple of things. I knew that I wanted to have a career and I wanted to be able to make a difference. Um, and I wasn't going to be able to change where I was or I wasn't going to be able to kind of relocate or, you know, uh, or the the military was in charge of that. So that was kind of like completely out of our hands. And so what we realized is, you know, there was really nobody coming to save, to save our careers. And right about that time I met Lisa and she was going through the exact same crisis. And so right away we um, became kind of fast friends over this shared hardship. And we always joke, we do what a lot of unemployed people do. We do a lot of day drinking. We did a lot of working out uh, and we did a lot of talking and brainstorming about what this could be. And uh, we realized that nobody deserved income opportunities like military spouses did and we wanted something. So why not make something not just for ourselves, but for our entire community? And uh, that's our mission. And sort of, we had this light bulb moment that it, it could be mobile flexible income because that's what we really needed the most. And then after that, it was like, okay, well now what are we gonna do? How are we gonna make that happen? So we definitely had the mission and the why first and kind of had to work backwards into what we were gonna do about it. I feel like a lot of people jump into the fire really quickly without having their why. And it's, I feel like a lot of the success stories you hear, I, I mean, the entrepreneurial journey is so hard that I feel like if you don't have a why behind your mission or something that will really help you in those moments to get through those like nitty gritty things that they don't teach you about in books or seminars or all this garbage, like you just have to go through it. And I feel like if your drive is in the right direction and the reason why you're doing what you're doing is solid, it'll get you through anything, you know, just like a marriage. If you're married for the right reasons and it's for the relationship, it's the same concept in the in the business world. Uh, so I think that, that that's what's really impressive about your guys. You guys have been open for 11 years, correct? We have 11 this November. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that wow. you hit the nail on the head. There's certain things that you can train and you can learn. Um, Google and the internet, you know, nowadays we live in an incredible time where if you don't have a skill, you could learn it. You could, And a lot of times you can learn it for free. But you can't right. buy or train or learn heart. You know, you can't learn grit. Um, some of our greatest team members, it's just like, gosh, you know, our why is what keeps them involved and keeps them engaged and we can teach them hard skills um, but you just really can't teach the passion for it yeah 11 years is a long time and the military wives i think a lot of people don't realize that to be able to be married to a you know special forces or even special operations uh guy is that's not easy <laughs> they're a very <laughs> different cut of cloth uh, and I know this because my business partner right now is a former uh, team guy Navy SEAL and he was also the star of a, of a TV show so you know it, it's been we've had our ups and downs we've had to work through some things and it's it's the same concept so I kind of I'm kind of like the military wife in the business relationship uh, <laughs> where it's it, he's really kind of like the, the driving force and whatnot of what we're doing but you know, I'm kind of more the operations and make sure everything's running fluidly. And I feel like in a lot of ways, uh, the general population of the American public don't realize that like in, enable 
enabling these operators and um, soldiers to do what they've got to do, it requires somebody just as strong, if not stronger, at the home front to uh, allow them to function the way they need to so they can get home safely. So I, I, and then you started a business on top of that. I can't tell you how amazed I am of what you guys have been able to do. So I, I'm, I'm gonna stop tooting your horn so much, but I just, <laughs> I want people to realize when they listen to this, that this is why this is so much more impressive than just like somebody coming up with this idea during the pandemic and just doing something. They, they, you know, sure. they didn't have anything to do. You had a family, you have a, a man that's probably gone 300 days out of the year. Like this is highly impressive. You should feel very proud of yourself as we are. So we're very happy you're here is all to say. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, and I think a lot of times military spouses and families are the unsung heroes. You know, special operations or not, it really takes a whole village to keep that community up and running. Um, what I will say, though, is to have had some of our my friends and my colleagues, you know, especially during the the last 20 years on the the tempo that those guys go through and these families are going through um as they wrapped up the gwat and you know it just like you said 300 days out of the year you're solo um and so you're pulling multiple shifts you're head of the household your mom dad and kind of everything in between and so to have something where these women could work you know, have income opportunity for themselves, but also be able to do all of those things is the most important thing for us. Cameron, how over the course of 11 years has the business really shifted? You know, early on in startup phase, there's like all those kind of, kind of like, you know, everything feels like a race to get things done, to get things moving, to kind of show impact, to, to, to get customers, et cetera. Like how have those needs and how has the business really just kind of blossomed through the 11 years and and like you know, what are the little tidbits the, the things that have like really changed anything you know anything catch you by surprise yeah i mean so what's interesting about our company is we started with that mission and the why kind of the end state but from a business model perspective we had very little experience so we had never run manufacturing retail you know we had never started or scaled a business before so the the end goal for our mission set sort of was very clear but how to get there was a lot of trial and error so we had a, a very you know at the very beginning it was we were going to do everything we were going to sell bags and and provide income we we're going to make bags and provide income so um the first five years is really just kind of weeding out all the things that didn't work and then once we decided okay this is the model then it was scale how do we scale it um and so that was that was something that I think is very different for a lot of entrepreneurs and their experience. Whereas, you know, we had no idea how we were going to do it. We just knew what the end goal was supposed to be. And that took a lot of a lot of failure. It took a lot of reinvesting back into the business to not see that, you know, maybe that money or that idea come to fruition. Uh, so you know, it took a lot of patience, I think. And now it feels like we have the, the recipe. You guys started off of a $9,000 investment. What, what would it, how did you get to that point? Was it, you know, did you guys go start sourcing canvas cloths and things like that from your husband's bags and like try to refit, like fiddle them so they worked better. And then you realize like, Hey, this looks cool. Should we make bags for ourselves? Like how, how did the initial concept for our Riveter come about? Yeah, it's funny. And my husband and I laugh about this story. We were actually at we were, I think, outside of Fort Benning, and I had, I had 
tucked into or kind of gone into one of the surplus stores and I'm like touching and feeling every single piece of textile like what can I get the most bags out of it's going to be the cheapest like most efficient piece of material and so I finally find this thing and I'm like this is perfect so I like run back to the car and I'm like George guess what I got this tent it was a shelter half and I was like I got this tent and I don't need any of those poles or anything like the guy I had him keep them like I don't need any of the stakes or anything and uh, I was so excited and he was like what you just spent $20 on what you know like he was not impressed by my find at all but I was so excited to kind of get it home and like cut it up and make bags out of it so um, we were just really exploring you know what is going to be the the materials that we can yield the most bags out of but at the same time it's going to be cool you're going to tell it's the recycled military material um, to bring the whole story kind of full picture. And, uh, so yeah, you know, I wasn't allowed to cut up anything of his at the time, you know, turns out he has to turn all that back in (laughs) at the end of the day. So, um, I wasn't allowed to do any of that, but I did, (laughs) we did spend a lot of time at the surplus stores trying to find some stuff that we could find inspiration from. How much would you say is upcycled? Now, you know, we, we do a collection called our limited edition. And we make small batches. Um, You know, once we decided to go on Shark Tank and we kind of had to come up with a plan, okay, you know, we're going to go in front of all these business uh, gurus on national TV and pretend like we know what we're talking about. So we probably need to have a plan for scale. (laughs) And um, we realized that in that moment, it was like, okay, you know, what's more important, the people or the materials? And so it's definitely the people. And we had to come up with a couple of ideas for materials that were more scalable. Um, So we make 99% of our stuff now out of new materials. Um, But we also, every now and again, get to do the fun stuff where we make limited edition products. Um, And we also make bags out of uh, custom bags for each individual person. So they could send in a jacket or a bag or a duffel bag and make their own. Um, It's called our heirloom collection. Yeah, that's all done in North Carolina, just outside of Fort Bragg. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay, that seems like a really interesting way for people that have military uh, in their family and maybe some unfortunately like killed in action or something uh, tragic that they can like almost commensurate that life with them in their lifestyle that's stateside. You know, it's it's uh, I'm sure you've had some stories like that as well. That's that's very impactful. Uh, people, I'm sure. Uh, love those types of things. On the Shark Tank, we've had a couple of Shark Tank uh, guests, and it just kind of by happenstance, it's not really something we're like going for. But funny enough, we've had another individual um, who his name is Juan. He created this Peanut Crunch, and a really cool guy too. You guys would get along, but he struck a deal with Mark as well. Uh, and it's funny that the stories coming out of like what you see on TV and then backstage and what's happening like live recording is very different. What was your guys' experience with like, uh, you know, pitching and, and the time in between? Were you guys like, w- was it a lot longer than you expected? Was it kind of clunky? What, what was your experience? Yeah, we um, did not realize that, you know, you might see 15 minutes of of your interactions with the sharks on TV, but there's an hour worth of conversation happening. Um, And so, yeah, it was much longer. Of course, when you're in it, it goes by like you're in another, you know, a parallel universe. And um, 
but it was, uh, I'm just glad I have a partner. You know, Lisa and I work really well together and kind of where my strengths um, and weaknesses are, she's a complement. So we kind of work yin and yang and we were able to lean on each other in that way and kind of bring both of our perspectives and our strengths to that experience, which helped significantly. Yeah, and I think that shows in your interactions with them. I mean, what was the most surprising thing? Surprising, the most surprising thing. Um, they really have no idea who you are or what you're about to do. Like when you stand in front of them, right. it is truly, you know, it is your very first conversation. They have no idea your company. They actually have a really, they have a lot of ways that they ensure that there's no pre-homework done or anything like that. Um, it's very true to the show, I oh. think. So I was impressed by that. Yeah, that's exciting. What was the, you know, when they like pan and there's that godlike voice that comes on talking about like in between breaks commercial breaks or whatever when it's uh, on TV what what's that intro like i mean are they are they introducing on the loudspeaker as you walk in or is it like you have to pause for a second so that they can fill that how do they shoot that just i'm just curious on that aspect real quick we don't have to spend time there but it's just i always hear uh -huh. these different stories yeah. and it's it's just fascinating how crazy it is yeah so there's no loud voice of God, like Shark Tank God, and then there's no music. So like when you're walking down, you know, the like the pitch aisle uh, on the show, you're used to that you know, Shark Tank theme and there's none of that. So it's very surreal uh, to be in that space that you've seen so many times on TV, but not have those kind of like audible cues that this is about to go down. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's different in that way. <laughs> I love that it's, it, you know, that candidness must really come off that there is no pre-research. They, ha they haven't got a clue really who, who's coming up next. Uh, that's, that's all very exciting. I, don't know that, I, I, think it, I think it really, it must make the show that much better, but also for you can be considerably nerve wracking. Uh, do they do any like preparation with yes. you or, you know, even, even just so you're kind of like in, in the right headspace? Okay. Um, not really. You have that one little elevator pitch at the very beginning. That's, that's you have a script, you know, that you put together, it's all, it's all you. Um, and then after that, it's no holds bar kind of whichever way the conversation goes is the way that, you know, it's very organic after that. Well, you ladies definitely secured uh, a good shark. I would say what, what's been the process like working yeah. with Mark post show? Uh, was it as impactful as you guys thought? Was it more impactful? Has he been hands on? Is it what, what's that been like? Mark is a great shark. You know, he is really there when we need him. So the great thing about Mark is, you know, he lets us run the company. He lets us make the decisions that we need to make. And then it, basically if we need him, we call him. Um, so he's very, very trusting and understanding that, you know, nobody's going to run the business like we are as the founders. And it's been really a blessing and kind of a great experience to work with him. Yeah, he truly believes in you and lets you do what you do best. Uh, so it is mm -hmm. realistic that you could call up Mark Cuban and, and, and talk to the man. I mean, that's that's time that, that you, know, part, yeah. you know, part of this investment, I guess, uh, is, is his ear that way. Yeah, definitely. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I have a funny question. Do, did you have any like girlfriends or, or guy friends that came up to you afterward, like pitching you if you could call Mark Cuban and be like, hey, uh, can you can you see if he'd invest in this opportunity or is it yeah. been pretty respectful? 
Yeah, every now and again, you'll get the person that's like doing a fundraiser or something, and you're like, "You think Mark would be interested?" And I'm like, "I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to waste my monthly phone call or monthly email on on asking about your fundraiser." So you know, if you want to find a way in, you know, I'm, he's a great guy. I'm sure he'd be happy to help, but you're not going to get it from me. <laughs> I always find that so interesting. That's funny. Okay, so so we'll throw the next question out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah right the fundraising question <laughs> it's just funny how like people try and piggyback mm -hmm. constantly mm -hmm. or it's, you always get the joke you know uh, you got Mavericks tickets that kind of stuff and it's like yeah 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 of course I get, you know <laughs> I'm not really a big basketball fan so <laughs> so you, you ladies were able to do a lot with a little bit of money I mean what what was to go back a little bit because I feel like to get a little bit serious when People have an idea to start a business. I feel like it's a it's a fantasy they have that they just instantly see the success, the potential, etc. But they kind of forget that. Look, this is might gonna this this may take quite a bit of time. This may be two mm -hmm. three years longer than you would have expected. Right. There, you're gonna have to take your time, find a proof of concept, get market validation that your user base actually appreciates and is telling you you're in the right direction. And a lot of that is just feedback and iteration, feedback and iteration, and getting started early, getting a product to market early versus later, I feel like is a really good strategy. Did you guys start selling bags at like, you know, local get togethers or like farmers markets or like, how did you start that process? Because I feel like what I've been uh, I only listened to your Shark Tank thing. I really wanted an organic, like, first reaction to to your story. So I really don't know too much, but I have a feeling you ladies really did a good job of like steadily growing the business at a pace that was healthy and not at a pace that you were just looking at hyper growth, which a lot of the time you kind of miss filling in that the product is good. Like you, you almost go over a lot of the little finite details that your user base really, why they're there are those things. So like you have built a, a very successful company. How, how were those first initial steps? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's a, a saying that the military, especially the special operations community has where slow is smooth and smooth is fast. You know, when we start early and we were kind of getting out there, we had to learn a lot on our on our own. And so we had to be able to do all of the things. We couldn't hire big production. You know, we couldn't hire big marketing agencies um, to bootstrap it. We basically had to make a couple of bags, go to a market, a farmer's market. Um, you know, we did have a website at the very beginning. But turns out just because you have a website and uh, an e-commerce store and you turn it on doesn't mean the customers will come, unfortunately. We learned that really fast. Every time. And so when we kind of go to That's these the markets truth. and we start putting it out there and as founders, I think the beautiful thing was we were able to speak directly with our customers, see what made their faces light up, see what made them pass, mm -hmm. see what made them you know, actually commit and purchase, which is the most important thing um, when you're trying to validate, you know, the value that you're bringing to your customers. And uh, so, yeah, it was much slower, I think, than people would hope it would be or people, you know, anticipate it would be sometimes. And we had to learn a lot of skills along the way to be able to support it. So if we couldn't hire somebody to make a thousand bags for us, we were going to have to learn how to sew and we were going to have to teach our team members had to sell. So we have started this thing and, and very organically grown from a couple people in the garage 
um, you know, with an industrial sewing machine that we broke every three to four days uh, and had to come, had to have somebody come fix it for us to, you know, our facility in Florida, which now has 25 operators and many, many machines that I could never use today because, you know, it's it's grown beyond me. Um, So it is, it's, it, it has taken 11 years to get there. And sometimes it feels like an eternity and sometimes it feels like just yesterday, but um, it did help us know exactly kind of what our North star was as a company. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I think that was the saying very powerful. never heard that one before. Uh, perseverance pays off, right? Definitely one foot in front of the other every day. Amen to that. When did you realize that, Hey, look, ladies, we got to scale this thing. This is getting overwhelming. I mean, was your garage starting to get like filled with bags because orders are starting to fill up? Eventually, I mean, it probably went from a couple orders to like a good size and all of a sudden it was like that oh shit moment. You're like, uh, we need to scale now and then you're rushing there. And so you like, you know, you push the team to keep making the bags and now you're running to like raise money to buy the machines and, and scale up. What was that period of time like? Was it kind of stressful? Yeah. Yeah, that's always the chicken and the egg, right? Like, you know, you're going to grow one piece of the company and then the other company piece of the company has to catch up. Um, but what we, what's funny is when we moved, we actually moved from Dahlonega where my husband was a ranger instructor, um, in the mountain phase of ranger school. And we moved to Fort Bragg. And when we made that move, um, we had a three car garage in North Georgia and my husband, you know, was like, listen, Cameron, I love you and I believe in this company, but I would like my garage back. And you've got to get out of our house. Like, because, you know, you imagine five women working in the garage. Like, we were always out of toilet paper. There was nowhere to park ever. Like, it was, you know, he was like, get out. Get out of our house. (laughs) And so we got a space when we moved to North Carolina that was not in our house. And uh, my husband was very grateful for that. And I was too. It really allowed us to open our door. We actually started a retail store as well. Um, So you could come in, see the bags being made and purchased. Uh, which was a win-win and a very oh, wow. effective way to have overhead. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's kind of grown from there, but yeah. It sounds like that was the next natural step and really just like moving in there probably opened up the door to mm-hmm. so many other things that might not have been right around the corner if you're still working in the garage. Is that right? Right. Exactly. And it always feels like these little micro leaps, like, you know, okay, um, we're going to, we had to move because obviously the military was moving us. It was the next move for my husband's career. Um, so it was like, it's very scary because we were leaving something that had grown comfortable. You know, our community knew who we were. The the team members were comfortable there. Um, so it's like, all right, now we've got to kind of step out a little bit further and, uh, see if we can't backfill, you know, the expense and the risk with the reward. And so it always feels like, okay, which, you know, which little micro move are we going to make next to, uh, to keep growing the company? It's so interesting. It's, it's almost like life in a way I'm kind of learning this right now because we're, we're raising an angel round ourselves. And it's really interesting because sometimes you have to just like let go and listen to what, you know, whatever you believe in the universe, God, God's I don't care, but whatever it is you believe in, like I I have a feeling like life really guides you where you're supposed to be in moments. And it's kind of up to you to be listening and take those chances and risks. And, you know, obviously sometimes they're not the most ideal, but, or at least initially, but once you kind of settle into that new environment 
things open up even wider than you could have seen. And I feel like yeah. sometimes you just got to take those leaps and just trust. And that's all you can do. And that's kind of also part of the wild west of the, the startup journey. I mean, that's <laughs> clearly it worked out. So you did the right thing. The universe has your back. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I mean, you know, I had this idea. Exactly. I had this kind of idea of who I was going to be and who I thought I was going to be and the path that I thought I was going to be on. Um, and becoming a military spouse really changed that. So it shifted that entire um, that entire trajectory. And so at first, it, you know, I was upset by that. You know, I was frustrated and I was sad and I was confused. Um, and then, you know, if you let yourself open up to this idea that, okay, this is a new path, a new idea, and it's been a far more rewarding one than I think I could have ever made for myself as, you know, an architecture student, um, the Cameron, you know, 2010, where I, I thought it was going to be. And now it's, you know, it's, it's way more than I could have ever dreamed. Amen. How many employees, I mean, you've gone from two, two ladies to now, like what, what are you guys operating at today? Are you, how many employees are you helping, uh, et cetera? How many maybe businesses? I don't know how many shops you ladies have yet, or I mean, what, what are the kind of the numbers you're running at today? Yeah. So we have about 35 full-time employees. Um, and then we have about 40 remote riveters wow. working all across the That's country. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. So you're you're essentially like almost a hundred a hundred uh, employees. Correct. <laughs> I mean a little mm -hmm. under, but that's that's freaking impressive. Uh, and these are all military wives. Our remote riveters all across the country are all military spouses. Yes, and then our 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 main core of production that we have in Florida is all. Um, people that just support who we are and what we're trying to do. And what we've realized is there, there's a lot of way to bring income and opportunities to people, to people who need it. Um, so for, for instance, in Florida, you know, we're providing jobs and kind of rural America and uh, bringing kind of some economic development to Hardy County, which, you know, Hardy County was just recently in the news for the destruction from Hurricane Ian. Um, so we're kind of going through all of that right now and just right. making sure that everybody's okay and back on their feet. But, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to bring opportunity and income to those who need it. And so being open to that idea was also helped us get to the next level. Wow. Does that help at all with distribution? Are you able to, for example, drop ship from some of these other spots around the nation, you know, or is everything a little bit more centralized than this? Exactly. So that's kind of where all of the parts and pieces start and end. And then all of our distribution and direct to consumer and business to, you know, um, our wholesale business comes out of that facility in Florida. You know, I'm sitting here listening and oh, okay. I, I kind of got a little goosebumps just now because I like to support military companies a lot. Um, you know, I buy black rifle coffee. I do jujitsu. So I, I just bought my business partner for his birthday just recently, uh, a brand new origin Maine, which is a company in Maine, uh, Jocko willing. He's also a, uh, former team guy as well, does some stuff. And so, but these companies are building everything American made, American sourced, and it's legitimately helping our economy grow, which seems to be quite the opposite of what uh, <laughs> the times have been lately. And I think the yeah. pandemic really kind of actually gave us a wake up call that, hey, look, we shouldn't be so dependent on outsourcing everything. And these companies, which 
I'm you you're right there with him in my eyes. Uh, no matter like the levels of of how many employees or whatnot, you and those two companies are some of the very few companies. It's like the new American Revolution of like bringing back industry and growing the economy naturally sourced from our country and helping our uh, citizens to give them unique opportunities that we've been giving other countries for so many decades. And right. I'm just, I'm really impressed by, by just even that fact. So I think you ladies are doing everything the right way. It probably took, like we said, a little bit longer, but I, I hope that companies, like anyone listening to this, I hope someone that has an idea, maybe, something similar to what you're doing in their own niche and their own product will realize that we can do this stateside in a way that is cost effective as well. I feel like we've been lied to quite a bit in many ways, but I think one has been like, oh, you can't do it for the same cost like you can in China or India or you know any of these other countries that have been really taking all of that away from, from this country. So I really applaud you for building rebuilding an industry that has kind of probably died over the last 40 50 years so um yeah. i think i'm sure you're seeing some some numbers that are starting to show like hey this is really the way and uh it's it's highly impressive that's that's incredible made in america we're definitely really proud of that fact you know unfortunately we're well fortunately or unfortunately we're not fully sourced in america so we are globally sourced but assembled here exclusively um and, you know, that goes down to, you know, how do we provide our customers with the highest quality at the lowest price and still be assembled right here in the United States. So that's always kind of a chess game and kind of those decisions that you have to make, what brings the most value and what supports your mission the most. Um, but, you know, something that we realized really early on with especially this, there's a kind of a micro niche community of military spouse entrepreneurs. So there's a lot of military spouses that have taken kind of up arms and said, all right, nobody is coming to save me. I've kind of landed out in the middle of nowhere. What am I going to do now? Just like our story. And uh, they start companies. And what we've seen is that it's incredibly contagious. You know, people will look at us or look at a different yes. company and say, oh, if they can do it, maybe I can do it too. So I think just the, just yeah, the act of right. standing up and saying, I'm going to try this is, um, in a sense, the, the most the best thing that you can do because you can show everybody that no matter what you're going to stand up and you're going to give it a go um and and see how see how it goes and see if it works did you get a lot of pushback early on not pushback did you have a lot of naysayers like or or people that were kind of like yeah this won't work there's no way and um <laughs> just giving you a lot of all that sass yeah. that now you can look back and have the last laugh <laughs> well i think in general when you step out to start a company let alone one with like all of these just like distributive like logistics and shipping and parts and pieces being made all over the country. But when you step out to, to, to start something, you have a lot of people who know what it takes and they're like, oh, you know, good luck. It's really hard. And you have people that don't really know what it takes, but they don't want to see you succeed because they're not succeeding. So they're going to give you a lot of pushback. We had a lot of people that said, you know, you'll never be profitable, you know, like, or, you know, it's cute. That's great. Go for it. Thinking that it's always just going to be this little garage um, entity. And Lisa and I just knew that above all else, we had kind of this calling that we were feeling pulled to do. And, um, we were just going to stand up and show them. We weren't going to, we weren't going to talk about it anymore. <laughs>
I love it. So. I love it. You know what's really funny is that I, I've kind of realized lately that when you're talking to somebody, you also have to take everything with a grain of salt. I know that's kind of a, you know, a typical statement, whatever, corny, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, you have to realize people have different levels of what they call hard. And for some yeah. people, getting out of bed is difficult, right? Whereas yeah. for a lot of us, I've had two back surgeries and I roll out of bed early every morning and I'm okay. Like, I'm good to go. I go run with my dogs. I work out. I'm okay. They told me I would never, you know, do deadlifts again. Well, I do them twice a week. So, you know, whatever. Um, so I feel like when people say that, like you said, they're just projecting their level of confidence in themselves and, you know, misery loves company. So there's always going to be those individuals trying to drag what you're doing down. But it's important to really understand that because I feel like when you, when you respect that, you're like, that's fine. They can have whatever it is, their opinion, but you know, hard. Yeah. This, that's part of the beauty of the process too, isn't it? Like the journey of it being difficult is also the secret sauce. It just opens their eyes that, yeah, you, you should want people to say it's hard. That's what I've been noticing. Duh, it's hard. Everything's hard. It's hard to go to the grocery store now and trust the meat's good or whatever, you know? Like that's anyway, that's secret sauce. So Right. No, I mean there's so much to so much truth to what you just said, whether or not it's going through that the hard things that make everything kind of worth it. And we we lose a lot of that, you know we're losing a lot of that as a society, um, building through the tough times and learning and, and regrouping. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Cameron, one, uh, just kind of quick question, harking back to something that you had mentioned earlier, and, it, and it's a common thread of conversation, I would say, with so many entrepreneurs. And that's like, you know, balancing like the fun, the exciting, the kind of like release, uh, you know, maybe it's like day drinking, uh, you know, or whatever it is, you know, with like overall healthiness and, and, and like, you know, grit and, and, and like taking strides in business, like especially early on in startup kind of culture, right? Like it sounds like you guys struck a real healthy balance between like having a good time and also knowing what to do next and, and you know, like when to work hard, when to, you know, like, can you talk a little bit about that balance and like maybe how it's changed through the years from startup to like where you are now at our Riveter, which, you know, everything seems sure. to be going so healthily. Yeah. I, it, to me, I've experienced them as seasons. Um, there are seasons, you know, at the company where I have to work longer and harder than I did the previous one, or there are seasons for my kids and my family where I choose to be more present, um, during the day for them. And in, you kind of know, you have to listen to the universe, right? So you have to kind of, um, take your cues from what's happening. But uh, the only thing that we've been able to do is we have a certain set of values as a company, um, that we've put out and put forward. And so we try to live by those. Um, and, and that we use as, as things that guide us when things get hard, because, you know, sometimes, uh, your family needs you, or sometimes, you know, the profit of the company is not as important as the community that you're building. Um, and so you have to have sort of a set of principles that you're going to go back to every time to make those types of decisions. So getting that stuff down and on paper and everybody aligning to that is so important. Um, whether it's between a founder, a set of founders, or an employer and an employee, those are the things that are going to make true, honest relationships um, and keep everybody really happy and kind of understanding what to expect. Um, and then, you know, I just try to go with 
the season in my life and kind of what I feel like I've, I need to be doing. Um, health and wellness is a big one for me, working out, staying fit and active, um, true self-care, you know, as part of a daily routine is something that's important to our family and that we're trying to teach our kids. So even if I'm thinking, you know, I could jump right into emails at 7.30 when I drop my kids off, I'm thinking also like I'm trying to teach my kids what I would want them to do, you know, when they're, when they're my age. So, um, trying to balance that is hard, but yeah, it doesn't always happen that way. You know, sometimes you jump right into the emails. But <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I love that response. I think it's very authentic and, and, and it's also very wise. Yeah, I would be lying if I told you that it was a strategic move. So it was really just something that the opportunity arose and Lisa and I talked about it and we said, we can't miss this. We can't let this pass. And um, it was so early in our business. It was 2015 when we pitched, 2016 when we aired. So it was like, you know, we didn't really know. It wasn't a strategic move. It was, it was okay. It, it felt like the right next step. Um, and uh, we don't regret any of it for sure. And we did pick up a great partner, but it was um, just kind of a part of the learning curve. And, you know, if we were to do another round or um, need to raise capital to continue to grow our business, we would go about it probably a little bit differently. <laughs> Um, at this point, but it was something that, you know, um, just, uh, the universe, if we're going back to that, the universe was like, here, here's this opportunity. Why don't you guys take it? (laughs) I'm sure that getting to this point, you know, going through the shark tank raise, what was the idea behind the raise itself, uh, just going back a little bit, cause I'm very curious as to, because, you know, Keith and I have gone through these, uh, fundraising and I'm currently in it at this moment. What was the reason to go on shark thing was also kind of the visibility component to it. Um, wh- why didn't you go through like traditional routes, um, versus something a little unconventional, but I'm sure has had massive implications, positive implications for your business today. Mm-hmm. It kind of was a combination. You know, we actually had a Kickstarter because we needed to raise funds to invest in some equipment. And so we did a Kickstarter. We raised, um, I want to say it was like in the range of thirty-five dollars to $40,000. We made our goal, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't 500000 or anything like that. Um, and so that content and all of our, you know, web digital content was out there on the web. And we got noticed by a Shark Tank producer and they suggested that we... Um, try for their, they had special segments for the military community. And so they suggested that we, you know, apply for the show. And so we were like, well, that might be an interesting path, an interesting way to go. And we just jumped right in. That to me is, is Lisa and I's early entrepreneurial journey kind of in a nutshell. Like we're just grinding and doing things and people be like, here's this opportunity. And we'd be like, okay. (laughs) Um, And later in life, later in this journey, we've realized we have to be more strategic. We have to be more, you know, thought out and, and not just take every shiny ball or object and run with it. But at the time it felt right. So we did it. And speaking it with Um, you know, we would have, I think we would have brought in mentors earlier 
and that that's a that's a tricky one too. It's a double edged sword because so much of what we did was built out of kind of a very naive look on manufacturing and retail. So we would just make cool shit and sell it. Like that's what we did, you know. And but there's this whole other side of retail planning and strategy and financial planning and strategy that we were completely naive to. And so there was part of that that's beautiful and that allowed us to play and find our space. And then there's part of that where we potentially lost money or profit or, you know, lost opportunity because we didn't quite know the full picture um, that somebody who'd been in that business for 20 years would have helped help us see pitfalls and things like that. But, you know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It it is currently working out. Yes. (laughs) How did it fall into your lap? Was it, did, did you know somebody that was like a producer on the show and was like, Hey, you guys have a really awesome uh, business going here. Or were you like, shoot, we need to buy this, this machine that costs Mm $75,000 and we got to hire a couple extra riveters. Like what, what was that initial reason to raise money? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent question. I mean, it came a couple of different times at a couple of different versions of the business. Um, one of my early, early goals was just to be able to afford the childcare that I needed to run the business. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that was success at that moment when we were in true startup phase, like don't know where the next hundred dollars is coming from. Um, you know, just being able to take a consistent distribution or a consistent salary home was success for me and my family. So, and, and for my, my co-founder and that type of thing, we're having those expectations and having them kind of expressed and communicated helps to celebrate those things along the way. So, you know, in the beginning, if we were like, we're not going to be successful until we make a hundred thousand dollars each, that is unrealistic. And it would have taken us a really long time. And we would have been very (laughs) disappointed for many, 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 many years. Um, so having those milestones that you can set appropriately as you grow and scale your business is key mm-hmm. to, I think, staying happy with your progress. And so many entrepreneurs, they get overly excited and then really discouraged when things don't quite, the card books mm-hmm. they don't fall exactly how they had thought maybe in their head. Uh, because, you know, and you know, again, to just what we spoke about earlier, difficulty is relative, uh, but, you know, don't, don't make, let's not make things harder mm-hmm. for ourselves, right? Uh, so you have know, right. an honest response to that question. You know, look at, looking towards the future, uh, what are some things that we can expect coming from y'all? Oh gosh, I feel like we always have the most boring que- like answer to this question because so much of what we want to do is just more of the same. Um, you know, we're we're just trying to, you know, we have 40 45 remote riveters working across the country. How many military spouses out there want mobile flexible income? You know, if you think about it, it's a lot more. So we have a lot more work to do. Um, But, you know, we realize that it's always been more than just handbags for us. And so opening up to different, different categories and different lines is always really kind of an exciting move that we have planned right around the corner. Like this year in the past year, we've moved into jewelry and candles. Um, So just, any type of uh, accessory or or gift um, is where we see ourselves in the next couple of years. Is that ideation phase is it just kind of like an organic? How, how, like how do these how do these come about? Is you know is it, is it a, like a roundtable? Is it a planning session? Is it something that happens regularly? 
Yeah. I would say the most successful versions have been um, a combination of when Lisa and I have been able to get together and make brain time for the brain space. Um, Because when we're in the business, when we're running it every day, you very rarely get to do that, you know? So you're always fighting fires and being tactical and and working in the business. And so when you can make space to work on the business, um, those things tend to come to fruition because you can communicate and visualize all of those fun things. But yeah, it's really more about us making time for it than anything at this point. I love that because it touches on the magic of human touch, which is quite a real effect, and uh, that you and your mm-hmm. co-founders really are jiving. You're really kind of sharing that same like brave brain wavelength, if you will, uh, to get the creative juices pumping. You know, and the fact that you can get together to kind of like amplify this through the human touch. All that does is is show that hey, every, everything is correct. You know, like the things are working. Uh, very healthy. For sure, yeah, and it's like a marriage. You know, you we have to be constantly working on our communication, especially as a remote company. Um, Lisa and I have to make time to talk to each other during the week. We could very easily get sucked into our departments and our roles. Um, she's spreadsheets and operations and I'm watercolor and creative. So it's, um, you know, we could very easily get kind of sucked down into what we do. So if we're not making time for each other and, and just communicating even about personal things in our lives, then we we tend to drift apart and then we have to make effort to come back together. So it very much is like a business marriage. Yes. Yes, uh, you know, and such a common theme, right? And it's always, you know, like like the the kind of through the hard times come the best times, and I think it just brings everybody even that mm-hmm. much tighter. You know, uh, you know, even if let's say you're operating on different ends of the of the country, but just the fact that you can make it work remotely, uh, work through these challenges, and of course they're going to be new ones when everything is that much more remote. Uh, but you know, I think through it, just kind of tightens the relationship. Uh, but I love that the creative Definitely. juices really start flowing when you guys get together. That that is so key. It's so it's so key to so many things. Yeah. Yeah. One thing we have to our team has to con- constantly be like, not yet, guys. Like we're not. Can we not make that move right now? <laughs> so it's a always that kind of ebb and flow of the founders are ready to make that micro that micro step, and your team's going, "Are you crazy? You know, we just organized all this. We just got this under control, and you want to do what?" So it's always this ebb and like this, this balance of, you know, managing what we currently have, but taking that next step into something unknown. And so it's always kind of a dance, I think, between our, our team and, you know, what we think we should do next and trusting them to know when, when we should as well. So, um, you know, trusting your team is is so important, co-founders and team. And knowing when to say no. It sounds like it sounds mm-hmm. like you do. Yeah, we try to, and we try to encourage that in our team and our culture as well. You know, the last thing you want is a bunch of yes women. Yeah, I just wanted to add uh, be- before we kind of start wrapping up. I know you got to go, but uh, I-, I wanted to give Keith a little credit because you were talking about how you know the constant communication, getting together, and spending time together, even if it's like outside of work stuff, but. Uh, Keith kind of brought me into uh, Dimension Software, the, the tech company here in Santa Monica, and just let me kind of work my way up the ranks. And uh, he, he mentored me a lot. And I, I'm forever in debt of Keith. I love him like a brother. Uh, and he taught me that valuable lesson of, you know, every Thursday we would at like 
three, four o'clock. We'd be working, grinding away, you know, deep, 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 high digit stuff. Our brains are all fried. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah. every Thursday, you'd hear the little beer, yeah. clank, clank. And so but a few of us guys, we'd go out to the outside little patio, sit around the little fire thing and just decompress a little bit, reconnect on a human level, uh, talk about random shit, and then eventually come back to like, okay, guys, like here's the problem for this week. Here's where mm-hmm. we've gotten it, but here's where we need to get for next week. And like, what are you seeing as being the problem? What do you see? And just allowing people to really express themselves, get a little buzzed, you know, whatever, one or two beers, nothing crazy, but it's, it, I couldn't imagine how effective that little thing would be but it's like when you go talk to a therapist and you're like, mm-hmm. no, yeah. I'm too cool for that or I don't need someone. And then you realize like just talking to somebody and then valuing what you have to say and giving you good positive feedback that helps you move forward, like that's the secret sauce right there. And that's how the yeah. relationships grow. That's how founders keep being successful and allowing for, you know, l- relying on each other for those things. And it becomes, like you said, a marriage and uh you ladies have done a phenomenal job up to this point. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on Call to Action Podcast. We always leave our guests with one last question. It's kind of deep, but I think mm-hmm. it really is impactful to anybody listening to this because it makes you literally reflect back and kind of recap from your own experience. And like, if you were to look back 10 years from this point, right, when you first were mm-hmm. starting our riveter and going through the life probably some some hard life things with your husband's career always moving and going maybe had kids at that point maybe you were thinking about it but going through those moments in that in that time frame like what would you give as advice to that younger version of yourself i think it would be trust yourself so as a founder i think we i've learned that my job is to have the vision along with lisa and that vision is your secret sauce and then you kind of you build the pieces to make that happen um and that's allowed me to learn that trusting myself and trusting my instinct um is the most important thing that i can do and the second piece of that is to make sure that you're telling people um including yourself or your family or your your team and everybody around you what you need so being transparent um always helps set up those expectations with your relationships so to trust trust yourself and to communicate you know not be afraid to communicate your needs with people especially for a lot of women i think a lot of women want to take it and they want to do it and they want to they want to carry it um and taking time to to ident- understand what those needs are and then how other people can help you and how you can help other people is so important wonderful what a way to end it Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. And uh, honestly, anybody anybody listening to this, where, where can they? Rriveter.com is the website. Yep. Like Rosie the Riveter. And uh, there are men products. There are. Yep. Right. Hit the flex. <laughs> but she, she ain't got nothing on you. So don't. Uh, let's get you your face on the back. That's next right. To your that's partner. right. Here. So we need to change that a little bit. but We'll no. have a 2.0 on the poster coming soon. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thanks, guys.